Blog Talk Radio. Glamour, fearless, diabetes late night. You could be the president, you would get my vote. You could be the captain of whatever floats your boat. You could be the singer, girl, you'd hit every note. Like, Like your daddy told you when you were a little girl You could be anything Why don't you be with me? Why don't you, why don't your mama box you up in a woman's world? You could be anything Why don't you be with me? Why don't you, why don't you be my drink, be my song, be my bed, be my car, be my throat of grass Be my day, be my night, be my right, be my wrong, be my first and last A Hello, Divas and Dudes. Welcome to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick, and thank you for tuning in to this Diabetes Wellness with a Wow podcast. Tonight, we're talking about what scares you most about your diabetes with musical inspiration from chart-topping band Old Dominion, courtesy of Sony Music. Does diabetes and its health-related complications scare you? How does fear of diabetes affect your life and your daily self-care? And more importantly, what do you do about it to calm your nerves, stay focused, and stay on track of taking care of yourself and your diabetes health? Well, that's the topic I'll be talking to tonight with my panel of experts, including poet Lorraine Books, Dr. Michelle Summers Colon, Dr. Andrea Chisholm, Diabetes What to Know, community founder Ansley Dalbo and community facilitator, administrator, all-around fabulous uh, diabetes advocate. I'm excited to have her back on the show, Cindy Liu. Uh, the Charlie's Angel of Outreach, Patricia Addy Gentle. Our newly diagnosed diva living with diabetes, Jackie. Dr. Laurie Shemek. And Mama Rosemarie is actually taking a vacation this month because uh, she's still receiving too many roses and alkylates from last month's uh, Diabetes Mystery Podcast. And thank you for tuning in to Gypsies, Tramps, and Peas. It was our highest-rated podcast of the year, so we appreciate that so much. Now, October's musical artist, Old Dominion, is known for blending the lines of humor and music in a way that's both entertaining and compelling. Throughout the podcast, we will be featuring selected songs from Old Dominion's newest album called Happy Endings, courtesy of Sony Music. And stay tuned because I'll be announcing the instant winner of our fabulous Divabetic prize pack courtesy of Cabot Cheese, New Naturals, Dr. Greenfields, and our newest sponsor, True Chocolates, later on in the show. You could be a part of that challenge every month by liking us on the Divabetic Facebook page and being part of a random drawing. Who doesn't love to win prizes? Now take a minute and donate to DivaBetic at DivaBetic.org. Your tax-deductible contributions are greatly appreciated. Our next song from October's Music Artist of the Month contains lyrics that reference a John Mellencamp 1982 single, Jack and Diane. That song opens with the lines, I wonder if Jack and Diane ever made it. Well, here's No Such Thing as a Broken Heart, courtesy of Sony Music. Let's listen. You know you can't keep the ground. Oh, 
Cause there's no such thing as a broken heart You gotta love Like there's no such thing as a broken heart Welcome back to Diaries Late Night I'm your host Mr. Diva Bedick And that was our featured artist of the month Old Dominion You know we received a tremendous amount of responses When we posted the question What scares you most about your diabetes On our social media and uh, Facebook, Twitter Tumblr and Pinterest pages. The response was so great that I decided I would dedicate this entire show to talking about this into- uh, topic, and I invited a panel of experts to answer your questions as well as discuss some of the concerns uh, that were posted on many boards uh, that uh, we saw messages on. You know, finding my former boss, Luther Vandross, after he had a stroke related to type 2 diabetes was. Um, incredibly devastating for me and I think the impact uh, still resonates with me because my boss was so debilitated after the stroke uh, he unfortunately never performed again on stage and uh, I think not only did that motivate me um, to want to create Divabetic it also motivated me to want to stay happy and healthy I have diabetes on in my family my brother's living with type 1 diabetes and on my mother's side I have a a a long history of type 2 diabetes, so I consider myself a man at risk, and I think because of what I saw with Luther um, and and the complication, that really did motivate me. I just don't choose to talk about scare tactics because I think sometimes uh, you could fear isn't a motivator. It could be an obstacle, but I'm not very good with words, so I thought that's why I would invite my first guest back to the show. I'm always excited to have her here because she's such she's so masterful when it comes to words, so please welcome back from last uh, month's Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves. Yes, you know her as a narrator. We know her as Lorraine Brooks. Please welcome Lorraine to the show. Hi, Lorraine. Hi, Max. How are you today? I'm good. I just uh, got back from Providence Town. I had a lovely weekend, and so I'm uh, excited to delve into this subject. I mean, it's two blockbuster shows in uh, two months. And this topic really uh, resonated with our community when we posted this question. And I'm curious, like, what were some of the fears that might have gone through your mind when you were initially diagnosed with diabetes, or or maybe some of the fears you might still have um, as you continue to live well with diabetes? Well, um, I was diagnosed about 35 years ago, and um, it wasn't a surprise to me. Um, My my paternal grandmother had diabetes, and um, so I I, I knew how to – I had seen her deal with it, and I had seen my family deal with it. But my grandmother had also had a very bad stroke, and um, um, she was pretty debilitated as a result of it. And so I knew from the very beginning, you know, what some of the things were that could happen to you. But, um, and I can't say that I wasn't afraid. I was afraid. I was a little, um, you know, it was a daunting task, excuse me, to give myself insulin and um, to learn to deal with the day-to-day issues involved with it. And and sometimes, even now, I still feel a little... Uh, apprehensive about some things, especially when I go to the doctor. I'm always a little nervous before I go to the doctor because I never know what she's going to tell me, and I always hope that it's good news. And so far, it hasn't been bad news, so I've been very fortunate. But I think that a certain amount of fear uh, goes along with any uh, diagnosis of a chronic disease, especially 
when it's something that you have to deal with every day, um, like you do with diabetes. And there are so many people who have complications that everyone knows um, and sees what what could happen to you. So I think, um, you know, I read some of the some of the comments of the people that you posted, and um, I understand that. I mean, I understand that it's uh, it's it's a it can be a stressful diagnosis, and it can be something that. Um, I don't think you should be scared, but, you know, I mean, I can't say that because if you're scared, I think that's okay and normal, but, um, you know, you, you have to do, you have to, you have to work through the fear. I think that's my, that's what I did. I worked through the fear and, um, and I still do sometimes on a daily basis. Hopefully it's getting less intense, but, you know, as I get older, uh, other things may may crop up and I have to deal with that too. Do you ever discuss those fears with your doctor, or um, is it something you're actually, no pun intended, but afraid to talk about? <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, well, I'm not afraid to talk to my doctor, and that's a good thing. But, you know, I, the answer is no. I, I haven't really talked about um, any of the possible complications, mostly, I think, because um, I, I'm not, you know, I don't seem to be going in that direction. Uh, so there's really nothing to talk about necessarily with her. I mean, I. I do what I need to do on a daily basis, and you know, as I said, so far so good. Um, and you know, I, I'm 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 the sort of person who doesn't like to dwell uh, on things that could happen. I, I like to deal with what's actually happening. So I think if I had to deal with a complication or something, you know, happened that I really had to deal with, and it and it did cause me some fear, then I certainly would speak to my doctor about it and find out what would be the best way to deal with that. And I would also speak to my therapist about it. Well, I think one of the interesting things was because we partnered uh, with Diabetes What to Know on this as well as the Type 2 Diabetes Support Group on Facebook, I should tell everyone, we really did hit a large target of people living with Type 2. And the one fear that I thought would show up that didn't, and I'm curious to ask you about, is the fear of going on insulin. I know that when I've done outreach uh, all over the country with their American Diabetes Association Expo, taking control of your diabetes, or even at the Diabetic Club in Philadelphia, going the needle and going on insulin scares people. Uh, and I'm curious, since you do uh, insulin therapy, you said you use um, a pump. Like, what would you say to those people who are afraid of the needle? Um, I, I went on. I went on insulin immediately uh, because I'm a type one. So for me, uh, you know, there was no progression from pills to anything other than, than a needle. And for me also, um, as I said, I had seen my grandmother deal with it, so I wasn't scared. But um, I, I would say to people that, um, and not being funny and not being facetious, but if it's a choice between giving yourself a needle or really, you know, being ill and suffering some serious consequences, I, I don't think that there's a choice. I think that you... You do what you have to do when you have a chronic disease, and you do what you have to do to to take care of it. Um, I use a pump, so I don't have to actually give myself a needle anymore. I, I did. I used to give myself uh, five or six injections every day. And, um, you know, again, for me, it's just something that I made part of my routine. I just made it something that I had to do just like anything else. And... Um, the pump is a little bit easier because you don't have to actually give injections. So I change my infusion infusion set every three days. And again, that's just something that I do. And I take my supplies with me wherever I go. And I, I, I will tell people, excuse me, I have to go 
and, you know, change my pump reservoir and everyone understands what that means. And um, I, I just treat it as if it's just another part of my life. That's the only way I personally, you know, can 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 deal with it. I just have to make it a routine and just make it another thing about me and not the, not the thing that defines me. It's just something else I have to do and something else about me. And I'm just curious, Lorraine, before you read the poem, like you were like one of the first people I called after I saw the number of responses and uh, how heartfelt they were. And I wanted you to, you know, I immediately reached out to you to say, would you uh, tackle this topic for us on tonight's show? I'm curious, what was the process like? Was Because um, we don't always get to, the listener doesn't always get to hear what your process is when you do these topics. A lot of times I don't give you an actual topic. You just write something. But this time I, I really did ask you to kind of go after uh, what scares you most about diabetes. And you did craft making friends with fear. So I just wonder, what was the process like for you? Well, I think that's what I had to do. I had to um, I had to sit down with and think about the things that I had read and the things that I know people struggle with and the things that I sometimes struggle with as well. But I didn't want to. I I, I personally did not want to dwell there. So I I tried to make my poem a little bit about acknowledging fear and acknowledging that it's okay to have fear and it's okay to um, you know to 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 be concerned about certain things, but you still have to work your way through them. And um, you know, to keep people around you who help you to do that, and and to talk about it, and and let it be known that you know this is something you're afraid of, and don't let people talk you out of being afraid. I think sometimes people don't say they're afraid because other people uh, try to talk you out of that. You know, they'll tell you, oh, don't be afraid of that, or that's nothing to be afraid of, or you know, come on, let's let's not, you know, let's try and get you to not be scared. And sometimes that's not always the right answer. So I tried to make my poem sort of an acknowledgement that that it's okay to be to be afraid, but it's also, um, you know, you, you can't stay there. You can't let it make you not do what you need to do. All right. Well, I love that. So let's now hear "Making Friends with Fear," your newest poem for October's Diabetes Late Night. Thank you, Max. What scares me about diabetes in me? There's so many things I could mention, from finding out sugar-free isn't so free to dealing with my hypertension. On some days, there isn't much that I can do to keep from experiencing highs, and some days, no matter which foods I pursue, my blood sugars are a surprise. I'm fearful that this is affecting my heart, and maybe my eyesight will fade. There's so many things I don't know where to start, but I won't spend my life being afraid. On Halloween night, I might have me a treat and promise not to feel guilt. I won't overdo it, I won't overeat, but I'll enjoy life to the hilt. See, here's my philosophy, here's what I know, and here's how I do this disease. I don't let fear stop me from letting me grow. And I won't live in parentheses. Make your own choices. Make your own way. Professional care. Take care of your health each and every day. And take all your supplies everywhere. So, yes, I get frightened. And, yes, I'm concerned. And, yes, I can sometimes get weary. But when I apply all the things that I've learned, diabetes gets less and less scary. 
Great job, Lorraine. Always wonderful to have you on the show. We'll be posting that on our Facebook pages and on our blog tomorrow so people could read more about that. And um, I appreciate you just sharing the process of it. I know it's not not a topic we've covered before, and so I I really uh, admire you for being able to tackle it with us tonight and help our listeners uh, who are struggling with it find a little bit of calm. Well, thank you, Max, and thank you for tackling this topic. I think it's important for everybody, and I can't wait to hear what people are going to say. I'm going to listen very closely. Well, I, thank you, and I couldn't have done it alone, so I had to have two divas on my team, which I always do. They're always part of my entourage, anyhow. Uh, please welcome to the show the founder and CEO of Diabetes What to Know, Ansley Dalbo, and the superstar of Diabetes Advocacy. She's also part of the What to Know, uh, Diabetes What to Know team, plus she runs the Type 2 Diabetes Support Group on Facebook, Cindy Liu. Hi, Cindy Liu. Hi, Ansley. Hey. How are you today? I am great. It's an honor to be here. This was quite a surprise. You know, how this happened is um, I reached out to Cindy Lou first, and I said, you know, I'm thinking about posting this question on Facebook. What do you think? And you said, uh, Cindy Lou, go for it. <laughs> but how did you feel when it went up, Cindy Lou? Because you were the first one I reached out to before I talked to Ansley. So I'm just curious to get your initial response. I was really, really surprised, Max, at how many people did open up and talk about their worst fears. And I was so glad that they did because once you will reach deep and make it public, then you can start finding solutions and learning more about diabetes. If we know what they're afraid of, then we can help encourage them to find a doctor they can talk to, Find a dietitian that will work with them rather than preach to them. And I was just so thrilled that they talked about it because in the end with type 2, it's a matter of how big your will to fight is. And you talk, you're the one that taught me that. When, when you met me, I was scared to death. You were the one that calmed me. And I, then, then once I was calm, I realized I needed to educate myself and that the more I learned, the less fearful I would be. And I have you to thank for that, because once I started learning, I fought with everything I had in me to find help, to find the right doctor, to find the right dietitian and learn how to control. So I think I'm so grateful to you for posing this question publicly and getting people to talk, because we've seen so many begin to fight that we're just kind of sliding along, reading the in the group and not really involved and you got their attention so I thank you so much for that well thank you for those comments I mean Ansley the, uh, what, I agree with Cindy Lou the, the anonymity of being on uh, social media allows you to kind of put out heart, heartfelt thoughts and ideas without really feeling like you're in the room and having to face people Almost, I think sometimes you could kind of like uh, shed your skin and, and just kind of let your hair down and, and say some of those things. There were so many comments. I'm curious, like, what your overall reaction was and, and what comments or comments stood out to you the most? Well, I, I think you're exactly right that social media gives us kind of a safe place to tell the truth and to, to really dig deep into how we really feel. And it's by acknowledging those fears that we can really start to look at them and bring them to the light. And I thought what Cindy said is great. You know, knowledge is the antidote to fear. It's when we start learning that we can then begin to see, you know, what's 
um, what are we afraid of that, that we should be perhaps concerned about, and what has changed, what doesn't hold up to, you know, when you talk to your doctor and, and you find out a little bit more. Um, I, you know, I was so struck by so many of the comments. I thought uh, the, the top three replies being amputation, blindness, and kidney disease, you know, those are all complications of diabetes, but those are really um, complications of high blood sugar. And so, you know, when I was reading that list, I, I was kind of struck by, you know, so many of us think that, you know, just because we have diabetes, we are at risk for these issues. And really, it's uncontrolled diabetes, as Cindy will tell you, it's her favorite quote from Bill Polanski, that causes that fear. So, I mean, I feel like my job and Cindy, our job together is to really kind of raise the awareness that it's uncontrolled high blood sugar that puts you at risk for these complications, not just diabetes. I agree. I mean, the question that stuck, I mean, the phrase, the comment that stuck out to me, I'm looking at it, it's from Mary Jean. I think she posted it on the Type 2 Diabetes Support Facebook page. Um, she said, the questions I didn't know to ask, you just don't know what you don't know. That really popped out to me about this idea of, you know, I'll have um, Patricia Addy Gentles coming up next, but this, you know, the idea that we only have seven minutes in a doctor's office. We heard Lorraine right. speaking a little bit earlier. She's a, sometimes afraid just to go into the doctor, what she might find out. So this idea, and just to what Cindy Lou just said about what you know. So the truth is, Cindy Lou, like it is overwhelming at first, but you kind of uh, cut it up into a pie and just kind of took slices out. Like you just mentioned about understanding carbohydrates, understanding like what else you could eat. You know, those are really important as much as staying um, the medication. So when you looked at it, Cindy Lou, uh, initially, how did you start to make your way through knowledge? You know, like what, what were the first things that kind of tipped you off to kind of want you to take on more and more to where you are now such a leading advocate for uh, people with type 2 and, and really pushing them to great resources. People should definitely know that. You're always giving people great advice and, and pushing them to uh, resources. Oh, thank you. I think the thing that spurred me on is exactly what Ainsley brought up. When you told me that the only thing that was going to get me was if I didn't control my diabetes, you know, the only thing that will do is if you don't manage, then I started to learn. I went to Jocelyn's website first, and that was, that was, I was on my own the first three months. You remember the story. My doctor was totally, this is chronic and progressive, gave me no hope. Uh, and I met you and I found hope. And once I found hope, I got online. You gave me some heads up about some resources online that I could begin to learn what type 2 diabetes was and what you could do to control. And I think the biggest step was learning that if I manipulated my carbohydrates, but if I kept half my plate non-starch, a quarter of my plate starch, and three ounces of meat there for protein or beans for protein, that I had a great deal of control over my numbers just by what I put in my mouth. And I, that's what I tell other people, you know, control your starch to begin with. Get those numbers down. Once the numbers are down, start adding things back in and see Use your meter, test in pairs, test before you eat, test two hours after. And in two weeks, you, you just have a wealth of information about how your body reacts to food. Now, we don't all react the same way. That, that's a proven fact. But on the beginning, to me, if you just reduce everything, 
and and see how much impact that has on your glucose meter, then gradually you learn what's right for you. And I know that's not true with a type 1, but it is with a type 2 very much. Our medications can only work as well as we let them with what we eat. I agree. And, Angela, like we should tell people, if they don't like to read, like Cindy Lou said she goes to <laughs> a Jocelyn, you have created a whole series of videos that people who might be more accustomed to wanting to watch a video on their iPhone or their iPad. I mean, today's world, everyone's uh, doing multitasking at the same time. That's another great way to learn, right? So, I mean, if if learn if the idea of picking up a pamphlet or like Diabetes for Dummy book that you could get at Barnes and Noble or I guess at Amazon, uh, the alternative is uh, Diabetes What to Know has a series of videos that really kind of break it down and make it very easy for someone to learn. Exactly. So, you know, we really try to keep our videos under three minutes. So if you were to go to our YouTube channel and click on our Diabetes 101 playlist, you know, in eight videos of three minutes or less, you could really learn the basics. And I think, you know, that's really how – I just want to put one – to go back to my original, your original question where you said what, what comments stuck out to me. And a couple people referenced um, – saying that I don't want diabetes to become my life. Stephanie says, there's so much to fear, so much I don't know, and so much to learn. I guess in hindsight, I don't want diabetes to become my life. And uh, someone else says, you know, I I don't want to live without happiness. Diabetes is mentally, emotionally, and spiritually unhealthy and exhausting. So for those folks who are newly diagnosed or hearing us talking about learning, this isn't a forever process. You know, you, you can learn the basics in the, ne- in the next few months, and then you'll have a handle on it, and it won't have to consume every moment of your life. Um, you know, obviously, there's always things still more to learn, but, I, you know, I don't want folks to hear us and think, like, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm going to have to get a Ph.D. in diabetes. That is definitely not the case. You can learn the basics, learn your body with exactly the process Cindy talked about, and really then be equipped for the rest of your life to know what you need to do. And you may have to tweak that over time with diabetes, but that steep learning curve is pretty short, and, and you, can, you can do it. I'm so glad. Uh, thank you for saying that. And I'm so glad you brought that up about not wanting to take over your life. You know, I ran a diabetes support meeting in New York City at the McBurney YMCA for like nine years. Then I moved to, um, I went on a national tour. Then I did, uh, started the meeting that's still ongoing in Philadelphia, the Thomas Jefferson University Hospital. I have so many women come in who said, I never want to go to diabetes support meeting. I don't want to be around other people with diabetes. And those are the same people who come back month after month because sometimes it's just about being around people just like you. And what you're saying, it doesn't have to take over your life, but that idea of being in the room where suddenly everyone else knows what you're talking about I've seen it change people considerably, you know, and I just want that, uh, I want people to know that. Like, it does seem overwhelming. I have so many people just have a knee-jerk reaction to even wanting to kind of own their diabetes, and yet I have to tell them the minute people walked into that room and started hearing others talk about and share their experiences, their whole demeanor and whole approach changed, and I think because they met people like Cindy Lou and Lorraine uh, who are managing it and saw that they could manage it too. So I, I just, exactly. you know, that um, really st- stuck out to me as well about people 
feeling like it was just taking over their life. And I'll be talking to Dr. Laurie Shemek in a little bit about uh, just what do you do with the fear? Is it a motivator or is it an obstacle? You know, for Divabetic, we're kind of the glamour fearless. So this was an, an interesting topic. And before uh, I wrap this up with both of you, I do want to do this again next year, but the point – uh, that stands out to me was what Lorraine Brooks just said, was about the idea of not uh, dismissing the fear. I think it's like yeah. so important that we acknowledge the fear and allow people to express the fear. I don't, you know, I, I really heard what she just said earlier about that. Do you, um, I know, Ansley, you worked in the Walmart with the private label and met a lot of people at expos and one-on-one. And -on -one. How did people interact with you with regarding their fears? Did you see this in um, real life when you were out in, and doing different work in the diabetes community? Absolutely. And, and I think, um, you know, people were at expos trying to gather information because they were afraid. You know, they, they had seen family members or loved ones or friends you know, have challenges with diabetes and they didn't want that to be them. So they, they were at that expo or at that event trying to learn as much as they could. And that really was the inspiration for wanting to create the website and the videos in the first place was trying to make accessible, trying to make information accessible. And I, I will just say one more thing, which is, you know, you mentioned at the beginning that your boss, Luther Vandross, had a stroke. And the truth is that, you know, um, the complication of diabetes that is the most challenging and the most worrisome is cardiovascular disease or a heart attack or stroke. That's, that's what's going to be the thing that's going to, you know, be the cause of death for a lot of people with diabetes. And rather than looking at that with fear, I, I think what that means is it's really important for every person with diabetes to know their blood pressure, know their cholesterol, make sure those numbers are at target. And I know that probably sounds a little pedantic, but, you know, th making sure those numbers are at target is really how you're going to combat fear because you're going to look at your numbers, you're going to know they're in tar at target, and you're going to know you're not at risk for complications. So uh, for me, I'm one of those people, like, when I'm afraid of something, I want to focus on what can I do. And so if, if you're listening and, and you're afraid, that is something you can do. You can know where your numbers are, and you can know what you need to do to get them to target. So I'm, I, I'll get off my soapbox now, Max. <laughs> No, you could stay. You, well, you'll stay on it next year in October. I'm only joking. We'll be talking <laughs> more to you both about it. Cindy Lou, Ansley, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for giving me that platform to ask that question so that we could kind of pull our communities and kind of move this discussion forward. I appreciate you both so much for joining us tonight. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. All right, October's musical inspiration, Old Dominion, got its name from a nickname from the state of Virginia, which is where the four of the five band members grew up. Here's another song from Happy Endings, courtesy of Sony Music. You're home all alone, there's a buzz on your phone. Your friends say she's out at the bar with her friends, so you go. You show up, look around, but you don't. They tell you she probably went back to her place, so you go. And you knock on her door, but she won't let you in. She ain't ready to do this again, so you go. Kinds of crazy just thinking that she might be
Welcome back to Diaries Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Baddick. Coming up, we've got Dr. Andrea Chisholm, Dr. Lori Shemek, and Dr. Michelle Summers Colon. But first, we're going to touch base with um, one of the Charlie's Angels of Outreach, Patricia Addy Gentle. She's been working with me almost since the beginning of Diva Baddick uh, back in two, 2006. But next month, I'll be at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital on November 16th, celebrating National Diabetes Awareness Month with the folks there and Neva White. You can find out more information at divabeck.org. Please welcome Patricia Addy Gentle. Hi, Patricia. Hi, Max. I, I know you're going to be on the whole podcast. I just want to check in with you before we go to some of our other experts because, you know, Diva Beddick, we had a lot of women asking, um, had a lot of fear around having children and childbirth. But I wanted to touch base with you because coming up later we'll also have a newly diagnosed diva named Jackie joining us on the show for the first time. And I'm curious, when you found out we were going to cover um, what scares you most about diabetes since you do so much work in the Atlanta um, community, did you find that most people had the same fears that our our poll revealed, which was blindness, amputation, and um, kidney disease? Yes, um, that is an overwhelming, those three are overwhelmingly what we do see. Um, people in self-management classes will often um, talk about the, those same complications, and they really are afraid of them, um, you know, and once you enlighten them, empower them with the resources that they need, you can see a change in that fear. And that's what we're all about, is helping to promote the empowerment and tapping into those resources that are so available and so accessible that many people don't, they are not even aware that they're out there. I would just think the um, newly diagnosed patient, that overwhelm has got to be incredible. And I know uh, that from just my own outreach, but I'm wondering from your own experience, like what... What's the one thing, like like kidney disease, for instance, was something that kind of surprised me that came up on the list? Have you ever had someone newly diagnosed uh, come at you with that, with, you know, scared that that might happen to them? I have. I actually remember uh, a woman many years ago who said to me, if someone had just told me from the outset that kidney disease was something that I should be focused on, I don't think I would have, you know, let my diabetes progress the way that it has. But, yes, sometimes from the, from the onset of diagnosis, there are those who are aware, especially if they have had family members um, who have ended up with dialysis or they've had a friend or a close encounter with someone who has kidney disease. Mo- most of the time it is someone who, although they are newly diagnosed, they're not newly uh, thrown into the throes of a person with diabetes. They have uh, a lot of experience being around those people, and they've seen complications. All right, well, you're sticking around because on top of kidney disease, the number one fear that everyone had was amputation. So I'm going to bring in in a minute my favorite podiatrist from Southern California. But first, the whole reason I chose chose Old Dominion was because I wanted her on the show. And 
singer Matt Ramsey wrote this song using every possible word or phrase related to picking out a pair of shoes while trying to tie it into love in the process. So here's this next song. I'm laughing because I think it's hysterical. It's entitled Shoe Shopping. It's off the Happy Ending soundtrack, uh, Happy Ending's Old Dominion album, courtesy of Sony Music. Let's listen. I, if your shoes shop, then walk a mile with me. Slip a Cinderella slipper right on your feet. Take my arm, strut down the street tonight. If you're downtown on a browser about, looking for the perfect fit, how's about? Some high heel, high top, pump them up, flip flop, heads up, lucky penny loafer on a sidewalk, patent leather, blue suede, tailor made, whatever you like. If you're shoe shopping, Try me on for size. Welcome back to Diaries Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek. Tonight, we're asking the question, what scares you most about diabetes? We polled our Facebook community and found out that amputation was the one, number one fear that most people living with type 2 diabetes had. Well, my next guest is a podiatrist, surgeon, health coach, yoga teacher, author, and over overall health and wellness expert on a quest to help women create balanced, healthy lives by looking at the whole picture. Tonight she agreed to look at the whole foot for us and tell us more about why amputation may scare you, the symptoms, and find out ways how to prevent it. Please welcome Dr. Michelle Sumner-Cullen. Hello, Dr. Michelle. Hi, Max. Thanks for joining us tonight. This this, um. I, I'm dedicating the whole show to you. That's why I picked Old Dominion when I heard shoe shopping. I was like, okay, I'm going to get Dr. Michelle uh, on the show tonight. <laughs> and then when I saw that amputation uh, just came up, it, it's such a big concern for people. What do you think? I know you have a huge practice in Southern California. Uh, what do you think the biggest misconception around it is that would scare people the most about this? I think the biggest misconception about amputation is that it's just something that would happen like from one day to the next. It's not something that develops over time. So this is, if you have diabetes, you're not going to have your foot amputated the next day, you know, from one little injury. What happens is with diabetes, you get numbness in your feet. And so you don't feel when you have a small blister or a small cut or something small on your foot and it festers and it gets and when you notice it, it's already been there for a long time usually, and that's when the amputation becomes a risk for people. So I think people don't realize, you know, the kind of the time frames that go along with amputation and infections on, in the feet and what's the real cause of them. And so now, I mean, we've had a lot of women come to Divabetic who – really can't check their feet every day. We always advise them to buy some kind of mirror. Um, Patricia Addy Gentle actually came up with this tip. Buy a, a hand mirror and put it on the uh, ground and rub and, and wave their foot over at the bottom of their foot so they could look if they can't bend down to, uh, to look at their feet. But I assume, like, mm-hmm. other people could ask their caregivers, right? Yeah, there's a lot of different ways. You can If you have a caregiver or if you have a spouse, or if you, you live with one of your children, uh, a lot of older diabetics live with their adult children. So you can have someone else with your feet for you. Um, and the mirror on the floor is a good idea. I've seen a couple of products that are out there that there's like a scale that, you know, that you can step on the way yourself that has a mirror on it. So there's different things you can look into to if you live alone and you don't have someone that can help you. 
Yeah, because I think that would be an obstacle for a lot of people is just not being able to check their feet every day, which is why it's so important. But I, I would also think there would be an embarrassment factor because this comes back to this idea of shame and blame, like you did it to yourself. And and I'm I'm curious, like when since you have dealt with people who've needed amputation, what's what's their mindset? What are they going through? Oh, that's yeah, that's a big because they've heard stories of once you lose part of your foot, you're going to end up losing your whole leg and they're going to start cutting you piece by piece. Um, that's, I think, the biggest fear that they have. Um, but what I try to explain to them is, look, if I amputate this toe or this part of your foot, I'm actually saving your life because if we don't do it, the gangrene is going to set in and you could die from this. So when I reframe it that way and they see it as a life-saving surgery instead of a limb loss surgery, it turns things around for them and then they, they get into a more positive mindset and they're like, okay, let's do it. Let's, let's get this over with and let's move on to the healing portion of my life. And then I want to talk about how they deal with the caregiver because I know, like, you know, there's amputation from the person, which you just discussed, but how do, sometimes the person who's around that person is so angry and fed up of why this happened to them that they're not really uh, helping with the situation either. Have you ever found that? Yeah, I have seen family members and other caregivers that get really frustrated with uh, patients because they think that the patients are doing it to themselves or not taking enough initiative to get better. And for a lot of people, and this isn't just for diabetes, but for a lot of people it takes a big scare or a big event in their life for them to turn their life around in terms of changing their diet and changing their habits. So sometimes it's just a wake-up call for someone um, when, they're, when their doctor discusses, you know, you might need an amputation. It could be the wake-up call that they need to turn things around. So I would encourage family members and caregivers to, to try to reframe it that way instead of getting frustrated and upset with them because they already feel bad enough. Like you said, the shame and blame that they put on themselves is already at a really high level. So well, we I have need to tell to you, like, the this. comment – oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Okay. Uh, the comment that stuck out to me was from Roberta. She wrote, my son died two years ago from complications of diabetes. He absolutely did – didn't do anything to help himself. He lost his right leg and half of his left foot. He was going blind and was just totally, he just totally gave up. I'm heartbroken I lost him, but I've watched him give up on himself. As diabetics, we have to fight every second we're alive to be as healthy as we can with this disease. Don't fear, fight. So, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of Robertas in the in the world today who have family members with the amputation. And like you said, I just want to reemphasize what you said about that first amputation doesn't mean the whole leg, right? Right. A lot of times it's a toe or half of a toe. A lot of times I can save the leg if I get to it early enough. If a so patient it's like not or being family member to go to you in the first place, a podiatrist, you know, I mean, that is a big issue, right? Is that someone might think it's far worse than it actually is. Right, because they don't understand that just because they have gangrene in their baby toe, that doesn't mean they're going to lose their whole leg. They might just lose their baby toe. And you can walk around fine without a baby toe and not have a limp. So there's a lot of things we can do, but education is the key, and a lot of times, 
their primary care doctors aren't giving them a lot of the information they need up front to start handling a lot of the things that they could handle on their own. And then by the time they get to me, a lot of times it's already at that stage that they need an amputation. But my goal is to save as much of their leg and their foot as I can. So I will try to take a toe instead of a foot every single time. Well, before we go to taking a toe or a foot, I want to back up to people with diabetes because one of the big questions that came up was, can I soak my feet? So a lot of people with uh, diabetes, their feet hurt or they're having neuropathy or they just, they've worked all day as waitresses or uh, at many jobs that require you to be on your feet all day. And so the question came up, is it okay for someone living with diabetes to soak their feet? Yeah, and there's a lot of different variables that go into this answer because, like you were saying before, some of them can't even look at their feet. They can't bend or see. So it's it's really going to take a lot of things into account. But the first answer to that question is, yes, they can soak their feet, but what are they soaking their feet in? Or If they're soaking it in warm water, that's fine, not scalding hot water because I've had patients come in with a burn because they were trying to soak it in scalding hot water. So it really depends on if they can bend down and reach their foot to dry their foot and dry in between their toes after and what they're going to use to soak their feet in. So not using anything too harsh like bleach or alcohol. Uh, we want to do something really mild like warm water with Epsom salt, something like that. It's perfectly fine and actually does help take some of the pain out. But like I said, you have to be able to dry your foot and in between your toes afterwards. Because that in itself, soaking your feet, could lead to a bigger uh, foot problem, right? Yeah, if it's not done properly, that's true. So that, you know, that sometimes people think they're doing the right thing and end up, you know, making more problems uh, than it's worth. It's so important. We've always advocated having a podiatrist as part of your healthcare entourage. I, I'm just curious, do podiatrists um, interact with the general practitioners or uh, the my general doctor, or do I have to, as a patient, should I advocate for that? Because you mentioned that earlier about what the health providers are giving their patients and then when you get involved. So who who puts them all together on the same team? Yeah, I think it really depends on their primary care physician because I do get a lot of referrals from the primary care doctor, but a lot of the patients come in on their own. So I get a mix of it. But if you do have diabetes, and your primary care physician has not referred you to a podiatrist, then I would ask for the referral. And if you don't get the referral, seek one out on your own. Okay, and before we wrap up, I want to ask you this. Do you handle your own fear with yoga, and does that help? would that help people who might be dealing with some kind of overwhelming thoughts and, and concerns try to find some balance in uh, these stressful times? Yeah, yoga is one of those things that can really help relax you and put your mind at ease, even if it's just for one hour that you're doing it. Um, some people don't even have any time out of the day where they're not worried. So if you can't get to a yoga studio and take a beginning yoga class, and if you don't know how to do, um, do it on your own at home, you can just do some deep breathing and close your eyes, and you can do this right before bed or right when you wake up and you just breathe in and out three or four times at a very slow rate, and with your eyes closed, that will actually start lowering your stress and calming you down, just like it would in a yoga class. And we should tell everyone, you are a certified yoga instructor, so that's a, a great tip. You, you wear so many hats. I'm so proud to know you. 
Thank you. Likewise. Well, thank you for being on the show tonight and answering those questions. If we have any follow-up, we'll send them your way, Dr. Mich- uh, Dr. Michelle Summer Colon. I should tell everyone from Southern California, thanks for being on the show. Thank you. All right, our uh, Old Dominion's lead singer, Matthew Ramsey, has a tattoo of carrots. Can you believe that on his arm? It was inspired by his favorite book growing up, The Carrot Seed. That's how you become the music act at Diva Better for the Month is by putting some fresh vegetables on your, on your uh, skin. But I think Cindy Lou would recommend that you put them on your plate. You might want to check that out on her Facebook page. Right now, though, we're going to hear another song from Old Dominion, courtesy of Sony Music. It's called Written in the Sand. And then coming up, we'll have Dr. Laurie Shemek is back to tell us, is fear a motivator or an obstacle? And if it's either one, how can you move forward with your diabetes self-care? Here's Written in the Sand. Are we just a bad Trying to get it while we can Are we names in a tattoo? Or just a number on a hand Are we last call kissing Or will we be reminiscing with each other For the next 40 years Are we written in the stars, baby Or are we written in the sand Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Divabetic. Tonight we're talking about what scares you most about diabetes. You know, fear can be crippling and render us paralyzed, imprisoned in your own mind. We may end up boxing ourselves into a corner, feeling unfulfilled and frustrated. Good news is we've got someone here to help us uh, find out how we could use fear before it uses us. Here's my next guest, America's number one fat loss expert, best-selling author, She's been here before, Dr. Lori Shemek. So glad to have her back. Hi, Dr. Lori. Hi, Max. It's so great to be here with you again. I love having you on the show. You know, the minute this topic came up, I wanted to, um, I, I was just dying to call you because I wanted to get to the bottom Thank of you. fear and how people look at this fear. You know, the, uh, this woman, Stephanie, wrote on one of our pages, there's so much to fear, so much I don't know, and so much to learn. I guess in hindsight, I just don't want to have diabetes become my life. Ansley referenced that on the show. But that that first part, there's so much to fear and so much I don't know. Right, what that do you says do a lot, you're doesn't in that it? Mindset? Yeah. I'm right. Curious, so, like, so, right. So one of the first things uh, we want to acknowledge is the fact that we are afraid, okay, that we do have fear. And it happens to everybody. Fear is an emotion, and it's an important emotion. But a lot of times it becomes out of control. It becomes larger than life. You know, it's we. The, I think what we need to do is to create awareness around the fear, bring it out, pull it out of the dark, shine a light on it. And, um, you know, the truth of the matter is I believe that if people, if we could just eradicate the fear and the person has diabetes, that would be great because this is the great thing about diabetes, and if you have it, is that you have been diagnosed with it. And that's important because about 40% of our population is walking around with undiagnosed diabetes and how sad for them. So this is great news that you have it. So bring the fear out into the open. And, you know, shining that light on any fear that you have regarding diabetes is really going to help uh, tamp down on the if, monsters that are lurking in the corner, if you will. And the so truth of the I matter is... how do I do is, that? I mean, if, let's just go back for a minute. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but how do I do that? I mean, because a lot of people would say... 
if I said I'm afraid of amputation or, I, you know, like if mm-hmm. my partner said to me, Max, you're not managing your diabetes, you know, why is it? And I came out like I'm scared, I'm afraid. I mean, it might send a signal that I'm weak, which I wouldn't want to do. So I'm curious, like, do you recommend that I journal it? Am I talking it to my doctor? Or should I really be seeking professional help when you say, like, shine a light on it? No, I think that you, you know, absolutely, if you feel that you need help with it, definitely seek professional help. Absolutely. Engage your team, if you will. And, um, but, you know, when you have, if you are afraid of saying an amputation, for example, it's, it's something that you need to be aware of and that you acknowledge to yourself, yes, this is my fear, and then you become more mindful about it. You then, uh, once you are more mindful about it, you, you learn how to center yourself, manage your fear, reduce your stress level, and then um, you, you really don't need to be brave because there are many people uh, with diabetes, every person with diabetes is brave, every brave person is still afraid of something that they're facing so it's not about being brave and uh, so there's no uh, concern about you looking weak at all but by sharing your fears you're going to feel safer okay because there's strength in numbers the people on your facebook group they're sharing their fears and when those fears are put out there then they don't have as much strength or power that's the first step is not to keep it inside because it keeps it it builds and it becomes bigger than life well one of the th- and it could affect a relationship because coming up I'm going to have um Dr. Andrea Chisholm co- uh, talking to us she's a gynecologist about a lot of women express the fear of having babies so i would think like just the idea of if you're afraid of getting pregnant and having a baby because you might pass it on to your baby could affect your relationship right just like the idea of uh, some of these women wrote my biggest fear is that i will never have it under control and it will overtake my life causing harm mm-hmm. uh, to not only myself but my loved ones so i mean um I'm curious, like some of these fears, you know, they, if, you, if you're holding it in like you're saying, if you're not feeling comfortable to share it with someone or somewhere, it could really mm-hmm. begin to uh, be detrimental to your whole, all the relationships. Every area. And right. a lot of people Absolutely. actually express fear about diabetes in the workplace, that if someone knew that they were applying for a job or uh, if they were having lows on a um, ongoing basis that they could be looked at as the weakest link on the team. I'm paraphrasing, but a lot of people did discuss that they were afraid that poor performance would jeopardize their career based on their diabetes. Well, it's empowering to take uh, control of your health, okay? So when you find out you have diabetes, once you have that information, you're reducing your risk of diabetes-related complications. And that is empowering to know that. And just as the the uh, physician mentioned before, you know, if you get to her early enough, you're good to go in terms of not having to suffer the consequences of letting the disease uh, progress. So, you know, it means taking action, tackling problems head on, so they don't progress, which means you're in control, your diabetes is not in control, and that way you feel, as, I'm, as I keep using the word empowered, but you do, because your relationships will not suffer, you're, you have control over your health issues. And here's another thing, 
you know, uh, people are very afraid of diabetes because they've heard of the horror stories of it. They have maybe may have family members that have gone through it. But once you take control of your blood sugar, that's really the key. And, you know, and the fear can be a motivator to really tweak some habits that you've needed to do anyway, and such as, you know, eating a healthier diet, getting the sleep, exercising more. Those things need to be done to tackle head-on the um, to stop the prog- progression of diabetes. And what if, um, you're doing everything right and things still go wrong because a lot of people managing blood sugars sometimes uh, goes against everything you're trying to do. So I could see a little bit defeatism in people when they're trying to do everything right and something goes wrong and it comes right back to the fear of like, oh, my gosh, if I don't get this under, I'll never be able to manage these numbers. I'll never be able to get my A1C where it needs to be. I'll never be able to lose that weight because every time I attempt a diet, I fail blah, 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 and I don't mean to say blah, blah, blah in a light way, but I mean just, you know, right. there's people who, and with diabetes, there's a lot of people uh, with good intentions, and somehow life gets in the way of that and, and, cause, and could activate the fear again because it just seems like it's so overwhelming. Right, and the, the key to uh, mitigating fear is to really tackle it head on. Like I mentioned early on, shine right. that light on it. Make sure you have awareness about it. And there's a there's a saying, and I hope I'm saying it right, but here goes, um, that fear is nothing more than an obstacle that stands in the way of your progress. Because a lot of people will hide their head in the sand. I remember, you know, my grandmother who had diabetes, she hid her, you know, she was like an ostrich. We used to call her the ostrich because she would not, she would not, um, ask any questions she wouldn't comply and so she suffered because of it so it's really about um, acknowledging the fear and taking control and you have that control that's that's the key you have no matter where you are in the diabetes progression you have control I love it great advice thank you always for being on the show you're Uh, I I just wanted to break it down with you and get some advice on how we could really tackle that. And You know, what you're saying, I'm going to make a leap with this for everybody, but tomorrow is National Coming Out Day on October 11th. I came out as gay. That was a huge fear in my life to come out and, like you were saying, like acknowledging it, Mm -hmm. shining the light on it. It changed. And the times when I um, found I wasn't talking about it is the times that people attacked me. When I came out about it, I kind of uh, dismembered that idea and was able to kind of move forward in a much more powerful way like you're, like you're stating. I, I've always seen this parallel about coming out, about your sexuality, about coming out with your mm-hmm. diagnosis. And I think it comes to this topic around the fear and just, Taking you know, action. Kind of, yes, and, and allowing yes. yourself to know that uh, you can move forward with that. So I, I think that's great advice tonight about that. That's great. Yeah. What a great example of taking action is you. Changed my life. And, and I, you know, I know it's not for everyone, but I would strongly recommend it if anyone's listening mm-hmm. and part of the LGBTQAI community, as I found out all the initials, that, hey, that's uh, something you should look <laughs> into. There's lots of uh, support for that as well. You never know what we're talking about on Diabetes Late Night, but thank you, Dr. Lori Shemek, for joining us tonight. Well, thank uh, you for having me. I loved it. All right. Well, coming up is okay. going to be 
My favorite gynecologist, I go to the gynecologist with her once a year, but first, our October musical inspiration, Old Dominion, band members have written songs for many top country acts, including Chris Young, the Perry Band, and Tyler Farr. This next song, oh wait, before I do that, they've even written a song for ABC's musical drama, Nashville. Hotel Key is one of my favorite songs off their new album, Happy Endings, and we're about to play it courtesy of Sony Music. Let's listen. She kept the hotel key Looking in a purse I guess It makes her think of me And that night we left our hearts on the sleeves And my clothes all over the floor We both know we can't open the door no more But she kept our hotel key Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek. You know, we posted the question, what scares you most about diabetes? And we're talking a lot about some of your responses tonight with my panel of experts. My next guest is an extremely knowledgeable, caring, and compassionate OBGYN who will be discussing the fear related to pregnancy with me. Please welcome Dr. Andrea Chisholm. Hi, Dr. Andrea. Hey, Max. So glad to have you back on the show. I have to say, this kind of surprised me how common this was until I realized that we, Divabetic is primarily a community of women, so it would make sense that we would have a lot of top, a lot of concerns and fears around pregnancy and diabetes. Mm-hmm. And just uh, what scares them most about it. And there are several uh, things that people should be, might be worried about, correct? That are, that like, uh, I want to just talk about some of the, uh, things that people might be concerned about that they've read about or seen about, like many of our guests have talked about earlier, including birth defects, miscarriage, yep. uh, hypertension. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, you know, I, I think that with when it comes to when it comes to pregnancy, it is it is important to. Um, we do need to think a little bit about separating out um, sort of type one and, and type two diabetes. They do share a lot of a lot of similarities, but they also do have some of their own um, their own issues when it comes to um, when it comes to pregnancy. Um, but certainly, one thing that just diabetes in general share is that it is quite important um, uh, to make sure that your glucose is in is in good control before before conceiving ideally if you can <laughs> i mean i mean that should i mean that's obviously the goal you know the overarching goal for for any any anybody with diabetes certainly anyone with diabetes um but it is but it is pretty important um when it comes to when it comes to pregnancy and and the reason why that is is that you know often um, just like with any other medications that you're on, uh, oftentimes you're pregnant um, sort of before you before you realize it. You know, one of the reasons why we say, you know, when you're thinking about becoming pregnant, it's a good idea to stop any of your bad habits, you know, cigarette smoking, alcohol consumption, that sort of thing, because you, you do actually conceive before you realize that you are pregnant. Um, and when it comes to diabetes, it's your, your hemoglobin A1C is, is a really important marker. Um, when you have very poor glycemic control in the first trimester, 
faster, that's when you do, you know, significantly increase your risk of um, birth defects and and miscarriage. Um, the we usually like to say, you know, ideally get your hemoglobin A1C in as as low as you potentially can, um, but we certainly, you know, like to see it for sure below eight. Um, uh, ideally below seven, as it starts to creep up a little bit, we do start to see some um, typical birth defects that can happen. Some of the cleft lip palate things can happen. As your hemoglobin A1C creeps up a little bit higher, you can end up with cardiac defects um, in the baby, heart defects, um, and as it as it as it, it creeps up creeps up even higher, um, there are some you know much more significant um, uh, uh, congenital anomalies that can develop. Um, are, so you, that are, they, are patients with type 1 um, specifically seeing you more regularly than a patient without type 1 at that point? I'm just curious. Since no, that is such no. A I mean, just, no, in, the, in the first trimester, no, absolutely not. I mean, the first trimester, uh, you're going to be, you know, seen, um, seen uh, in the same amount. It's not until later in pregnancy um, where uh, generally later in pregnancy where there'll be some more, some more visits, perhaps, um, you know, looking in at uh, the uh, baby's the growth, baby's and, growth and, and checking in on, on um, uh, some other testing that we need to do to see how the placenta is functioning and how the and how the baby's doing. Um, this how is such have a huge women topic. overcome that though? Like I'm, I'm sure you have your hormones are raging, you're managing your diabetes, you're, you you yeah. are trying to do everything uh, better in order to get like the numbers like you said where you want them in your target range. Yeah. I mean, how how have you seen women do it? I'm sure there's got to be some women who've been completely overwhelmed at that moment, and yet they've somehow been able to find a way out of that into a more healthier uh, place for their babies. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I, I do find, you know, women, women, who, women who, have, um, who have type 1 diabetes, most of the women who have come to me um, have, have actually, you know, been very, been very methodical about their, about their plan of, um, of getting pregnant and have actually, you know, sort of very, very much kind of worked, worked to get good control and um, were, very well, were very aware when they were, when they were planning pregnancy. You know, so they were on their, their folic acid and they were managing their, managing their sugars and and I, I think we're quite we're quite we're quite used to that um, you know and then I and then I've had women who have come in and uh, maybe with type 2 diabetes maybe didn't have as tight control and um, you know we're, we're able to just sort of circle around and 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 gain and gain control I think having having a um, having a, a, an outcome that you're looking forward to it, it does actually allow women to focus and I and I actually haven't haven't so much had people feeling very very out of control out of it I mean there's a lot of support we can get them in very quickly to nutritional support and 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 whatever nursing help they may need um, and that and that really does help women focus and and um, imp- improve their improve their control I mean I, I think the most important thing is 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 trying the best that you can to plan up front um, if you if you are if you are diabetic and, and you are are thinking of becoming pregnant because there are some especially for women with type 2 diabetes who may have some some other um, you know processes going on or what we would call comorbidities like high blood pressure oftentimes you're 
you're managed on medications when you're a diabetic with high blood pressure that are not um, are, are, are definitely not safe in pregnancy. Um, things like ACE inhibitors such as lisinopril, and it is important to talk with your, especially your primary care doctor, around that and say, hey, you know, I am potentially thinking of becoming pregnant, so that they can get you off of those off of those medications. You're the best. I think you're. I'm, I'm always so happy to go to the gynecologist with you every year. I, now I want to talk about the woman who's pregnant and probably it gets the scary news of finding she has gestational diabetes. How, yeah. What have you seen in your population and how women dealt with that? Because I would think that would be an extremely scary moment for any would-be mother is to find out to get that news. Yeah, so I mean there's just so if I'm rambling I apologize. There's just so much to talk about in this in this in this area. Um so for for gestational diabetes, I mean I think the thing that's important first of all to understand whether whether you're coming into pregnancy with diabetes or whether you develop gestational diabetes during pregnancy is that pregnancy in general is 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 what we call a um a, a diabetogenic state it 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 favors um maintaining high pregnancy itself and the physiologic changes that happen in your body happen to favor um, a, a higher level of glucose in your in your bloodstream, which makes sense. So that will then pass to um, pass through the placenta and um, uh, go go to the go to the baby. Now, most people who have um, well functioning functioning um, use of their insulin and how their body responds to their insulin will be able to maintain um, you know even sugar levels in their body despite this tendency for the body to keep the the sugar levels up but that's why it it's much more it's it's much trickier when you are when you are diabetic and why you will often after the first trimester start to see your insulin demands increase because the further along in pregnancy you go the more sort of relative potential insulin resistance you develop so for women who are susceptible uh, to becoming diabetic in pregnancy. So, so just off the top of my head, some of the risk factors that we look to is if you, if you, um, you know, have a significantly or a moderately elevated um, BMI, if you have a history of um, uh, 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 polycystic ovarian syndrome, if um, you have a significant family history of, of diabetes, uh, these are these are women who are now who are who should be screened um, off even earlier in their pregnancy for gestational diabetes. So we do we do often with some women screen um, in the in the early second trimester. For women who are of average risk, we screen for gestational diabetes um, around in, during the third trimester, somewhere between. 24 to 28 weeks, and the reason why 28 weeks is picked is that's about the time where you are having some maximum insulin resistance in pregnancy. Um, and we give we give a we give a, a, a screening test, and the screening test is a one-hour glucose test. It's a 50-gram glucose load, and basically it's challenging your body to say, "Hey, here's 50 grams of glucose. You need to get X amount of this." 
out of your system and into your your fat tissue and your muscle within an hour. And if you don't, then there's a possibility that you're not that this isn't functioning properly and you have some insulin resistance. So if you fail your one hour test, then you actually have to do a three hour test where it's a hundred gram load and then we look at your fasting and we look at three values at a one hour, two hour and three hour and, and look at the results of those tests. Sometimes um, those those numbers then prove that you do not have gestational diabetes and sometimes they make the diagnosis of gestational diabetes. And um, you know it's it's certainly it's certainly it's certainly never a great thing to have some problem during pregnancy. Um, but oftentimes we'll see women just with some dietary education and some exercise be able to manage their uh, their gestational diabetes. Um, by diet and exercise alone, which is fantastic. Um, some women will need um, some some pharmacologic support, and we are now tending to move back towards that being insulin because we know we get better control with that. Um, after pregnancy, uh, you know, you you will be at an elevated risk in your lifetime for developing diabetes. Um, and we'll do a test on you after the pregnancy is over to make sure that you are no longer insulin resistant. Um, but it, but in a, in a way, it offers you a good opportunity to try and make some significant lifestyle changes to try and you know decrease your lifetime risk of being a diabetic. No, I think that's great advice. I, I just want to ask though, because I would think it would be fairly common that women who failed any of those tests, like you said, would be scared out of their mind. And so yeah, you know, we were talking at yeah, the top of the show about yeah. just not being dismissive of that fear. And I think any yeah. woman out there, you know, that you – I just I would love to have you talk on this a little bit about just seeing these patients who are fearful and how they kind of overcome it and been able to succeed. Because I, I just think this would be a real – if it were me and I was failing those tests, I would be paranoid. I'd prob- I, would, I would really be just uh, – I'm sure. I'm sure they must be. Sh- they must be shell shocked when they get the news. Yeah, the, I mean, the breakdown I, and cry, or you know, anyone just kind of like, really just kind of get overwhelmed from this. Well, I mean, I think it can be. I mean, I think for sure. I mean, it is. It's. 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 It's incredibly overwhelming, and I. And you know, we we see it here on 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 especially you know for a woman who's who's now been diagnosed with this, and they have to check their finger sticks all the time, and they're working, and they're trying to manage all this. It can be. It can be tremendously. It can be tremendously overwhelming, obviously. Um, you know, but I. But again, I think sort of. Um, you know, women when they're pregnant, they're they're focused. You know, they're focused sort of on an on an on an end on an end result and find incredible strength um, in you know maybe taking better care of themselves than maybe they would uh, and 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 maybe almost being a little bit less overwhelmed than they would be if it was just about them you know I mean it's the women in, have incredible resilience in that in that area um, you know the good news the good news is is if and when you get this diagnosis, you, there there is a lot of support out there. You know, you do start to have more contact with um, the, the healthcare system in the terms of nutritionists and um, the, the nursing staff, and uh, you know, even potentially, you know, um, a, a, a psychotherapist, which is people there to sort of help you and help you and help you manage. Um, you know, and then sometimes even reaching out to to you know communities of women. To, to be in touch around how how they're managing um, with the with the diabetes. I mean, I think that I think the the important thing is um, 
you know, uh, again, you're right for physicians not to be to not to be dismissive. But certainly, if you are feeling, I guess the one thing that I would say to women who are listening is, if you are feeling overwhelmed and you are feeling that you know your physician is being is being a bit dismissive, is is to is to advocate for yourself, right? Because on a day to day, we it's something that we see all the time, and we sort of maybe don't take the moment to really think. Geez, I wonder, I wonder how this is really sitting, and and make sure that you say, you know, hey, I get it, I get what you want me to do, but I, I'm really overwhelmed here and I need some help but I think I think that you shouldn't feel you shouldn't feel badly about about saying that to your doctor to kind of sort of shake them and say hey I know you're just giving a diagnosis but remember I'm a person here and I need some help I love it I think it's great advice and you know while you were talking I just have to tell you I cannot believe after eight years of podcasting I've never done gestational diabetes you have to come back I'd love to donate uh, dedicate an hour to this topic because I think it's so important and I would love to just have more time to really go into depth about that. I, I, I think what you said tonight really is helping a lot of our listeners. Yeah, I think it definitely is a really a really important topic, and I would love the opportunity to sort of talk to talk to women, um, women who have diabetes, to sort of talk to them about you know the, the what what they can do to sort of um, prepare themselves, and then also to um, not be so overwhelmed about what's coming their way when they do get pregnant. All right, well, stay tuned because, Dr. Andrea, I'll get back in the stirrups for a visit to the gynecologist <laughs> to help women with gestational diabetes. Thank you so much for being on the show tonight. Oh, you're welcome. You're listening to Diabetes Late Night, and I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek. It's time to announce October's instant winner for helping us raise awareness in a fun new way. Tonight's instant winner will win a new Naturals gift basket filled with di- di- diabetic-safe, low-glycemic, tooth-friendly sweeteners. A cabbage cheese basket filled with an assortment of delicious low-fat cheeses. Dr. Greenfield's diabetic foot and hand body lotions, which are specifically designed for people with diabetes with sensitive and delicate skin. And I'm excited to announce that tonight our winner will also receive a true chocolate gift box. True chocolate is the only 72% dark chocolate snack that's sugar-free, gluten-free, ethnically sourced, and incredibly delicious. It's true. You could finally eat chocolate and be healthy Be healthy with our chocolate-covered flame raisins, almonds, wafers, and gluten-free uh, pretzels. Our winner tonight, oh, I should do the drum roll, shouldn't I? I mean, it is October, everybody. Our instant winner tonight is Monica Fruit. Thank you for sharing uh, on our what, what scares you most about diabetes. She said it's about not being hired or doing well at work because she's living with type 1 diabetes. We'll be talking to our final two guests about that in a moment. But first, let's hear another song from October's musical act, Old Dominion. This one's called Not Everything's About You. It's on the Happy Ending Sound uh, album, courtesy of Sony Music. And the song comes on and I sing out loud And there ain't no room that I can't go down And I don't think twice when I pass your house all the time Yeah, the rain just rolls right off my back And I don't get caught in the same old traps I can hear your name and fall asleep just fine Yeah, the world don't revolve around you Not everything's about you Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek. November is National Diabetes Awareness Month. I'll be 
presenting Diva Style Outreach in, I'm looking at my calendar, on uh, November 16th at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital in Philadelphia. Please join me for that. Plus, we're going to have a special Diabetes Late Night on World Diabetes Day, November 14th. You won't want to miss that. And coming up in uh, December, I'll be interviewing a best-selling author about his newest book, talking about type 2 diabetes and the dog that saved his life. That should be a great show. But right now... I want to bring in a real-life diva who's living with diabetes. She was diagnosed earlier this year, first time on our podcast. Please welcome Jackie. Hi, Jackie. Hi there. Thanks for joining us tonight. I have, I'm so glad I called in early because I have, except for the fact that I'm not pregnant, enjoyed listening to all of your experts. You did. What, what kind of stuck out to you tonight from what you heard from some of the experts? Conquering your fear, I mean, which is obviously the top topic of your whole podcast. I mean, I I just briefly have been a lifetime Weight Watcher, but always content to stay at the top of my range and still enjoy my wine and my dessert. Um, when I was diagnosed with diabetes, I have since, which was like to be exact on January 29th, I have since uh, lost about oh, close to 30 pounds and... When I meet people and they say, you know, where did you go? What happened to you? You look terrific, which is very nice. Um, I have said it's called the fear diet. Um, wow. It's, yeah. <laughs> um, terrified is the word, actually. Um, in my whole life, I've been a sugar addict. Uh, I was not morbidly obese by any stretch of the imagination. Maybe I could have lost five, ten pounds. I've always been active. I'm not the picture of a diabetic. Um, and I wound up in an ER with a 465. Right. And whoopee, whoopee, you're a diabetic. Well, I want to, I, I, no, thank you for being so candid about it. I want to go back to your diagnosis because it is an interesting story that you you, you and your husband are both active. You play tennis like I do on a fairly regular basis. I, I live in New I, York, so I, I play outdoors until November, December. So um, do we. We so, still are. Okay, so so you're you're here. You are fairly active, and your one of your friends was on the tennis court when they experienced a heart attack. Yes. Tell us about and that. And I, I, well, I we we had actually come off the court, and she got up from the table where we were sitting and chatting, and I watched her just arbitrarily get up and her legs kind of crumpled, crumbled underneath her and I followed her because I was talking to her and was so odd and she went down on the ground and initially it was sort of like I was on a Grey's Anatomy or something smacking her in the face and saying come on Sheila wake up and then she rolled further down and her eyes smacked, rolled to the back of her head and popped open so I started doing CPR which I had took a course in many, 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 many years ago because my husband had some health issues. And it turned out it was a heart attack. She came back. Um, and for about a week after that, I was uh, thinking it was post-traumatic stress. Uh, my heart rate was all over the place. I just felt very peculiar. And I do have a family history of heart disease, and I wear a Fitbit. And so one night I was sitting on my couch, and my resting pulse rate is between 58 and 60, and it was 85. So went to the cardiologist. He did blood work, and he called me, and he said, uh, did you go fasting? And I said, yes. He said, your blood sugar was 300. Uh, it must have been a lab error. 
The next day it was 365, so clearly it wasn't a lab error. He sent me a prescription for metformin, said we have to get you to an endocrinologist. In the meantime, a friend whose daughter has been a diabetic since she was a child brought me over a glucose meter to check my own sugar, showed me how, and Sunday morning of that weekend she called, texted me and said, what was your sugar? And because I know nothing about diabetes and I really didn't feel bad, I said 465, and she said, you have to go to the ER. And because I was a little on the stupid side, I said, no, I can't. I have a date with my trainer. Uh, at 12 o'clock, and she said, no, you don't understand. You need to go to the ER. And it was 4.65, and my blood work that day in the ER was, uh, my my A1C was 5.7, which is why the endocrinologist whom I saw the next day said, you have LADA, uh, latent autoimmune diabetes. Yes, (laughs) that's me, 78 years old, almost 79, um, with no profile um, that did anything, um, and there I was, uh, insulin-dependent. I'm on insulin twice a day and metformin. And if that doesn't scare the everything out of you, I don't know what will. And how, now it's 10 months later, so what has it been like since that time? Are you playing tennis again? Are you uh, I am playing tennis again. I work out with a trainer. We walk for fitness when uh, we can. Um, and I have this nice substantial weight loss, which um, everybody thinks looks terrific. I have, to the point of one of your guests, I, I used to say um, it was because of the diabetes. Now I just say thank you because it becomes much too complicated to explain it. But it, it truthfully, it was all about the fear. I mean, I was told, you know, this is how many carbs you have should have a day. This is how many grams of sugar you should have a day, period. And that's what I did. Um, as I had told you in our communication, I am a bit of a control person. It has been stressed to me many times that you cannot really control this. Um, you have to uh, manage it. So I really am not... Um, now, I don't give up control easily, but uh, the fear makes it easier. But you, you, we should tell everyone, you have an endocrinologist and you also have a uh, nutritionist working with you. So what, Correct. what is a typical day in the fear diet? Because I just want to know how manageable it is for you. Well, I probably do more sticks than I absolutely have to. My fingers do not thank me for it. But I need to know cause and effect. I basically eat the same breakfast and lunch every day because it's easier that way, and it seems to be somewhat controlled. Um, My A1C, which for a normal type 1 would be good after the first three months, was 6.7, but mine went up because I had just been diagnosed and my sugar was all over the place. Um, But... Mostly what prompts the, what the fear does is make me want to see very badly the cause and effect between what I eat and how much I exercise and how much it affects the blood sugar. So I find myself poking my fingers multiple times a day, um, five or six times, which I know is a lot, uh, but it gives me some feeling that 
I will know if what I'm eating is the wrong thing. This week has been an odd week. I'm eating exactly the same things, and the numbers have decided to jump a little bit. Um, that well, let's scares bring in me. our diabetes educator, Patricia Addy Gentle, because I'd love for her to give you some advice on maybe uh, some other places on your hands that you could test your blood sugar and also talk a little bit about maybe uh, what's going on right now. Uh, Patricia Addy Gentle is joining us now. Hi, Patricia. Hi, Max. Hi. I've been hearing uh, Jackie tell a little bit about her experience living with a lot of diabetes. She was diagnosed in uh, January 29th, I believe you said, Jackie, correct? Yep. yep. Uh, and checking her blood sugars five times a day. Oh, my. Um, and I, I think what I heard is that you're doing that because you just have that desire to know how certain things affect you. And that's good, um, you know, especially if your routine changes. But if your routine is not changing, your eating pattern, your exercise, um, you might not want to test that often so your fingers can rest. You might want to test and alternate the time so you get a pattern of what's going on at various times of the day. You know, what I'm saying is don't always test the fasting or don't always test the the uh, bedtime, but alternate, test three times a day rather than five, um, but alternate the times that you're testing. That's Does that make sense to you? It's, it's interesting to me because I thought that the important number would be the fasting one, for starters. And it is. It tells you a lot. The, the fasting glucose does tell you a lot. But what I'm saying is even if you test the fasting, you can alternate the rest of the day. Okay. Uh, if you're well, curious I get... about the fasting and that's the one that really drives home what you want to do and prepare yourself with, you know, for the rest of the day. But what I what I was hearing is that your routine does not change that much. No, it okay. really doesn't. Mhm. And so you can alternate rather than sticking those fingers as often as what you're doing because you might um, get some burn out there. You also your fingers are going to become sore and tender, and you and even calloused if you're testing and sticking in the same places all the time. I you well, can also I do. do Go ahead. I do try to rotate around the fingers as Most much as I can. Mm-hmm. And try not to get in the exact same spot. You can also use alternate uh, testing sites. There are meters that will test you the palm of the hand or the arm. Um, have you tried those sites? You can no. My understanding is that there could be a variable from the uh, readings because uh, not as much blood gets to the same sites or your circulation might affect how, how the readings are. So I have been sticking to just my fingers. And you're yeah. absolutely right. There are variables uh, when it comes to testing in alternate sites. However, if you are always testing, you can compare one test to the next is what I'm saying. Um, let's say for a week you're doing alternate sites. Mm-hmm. And so you would not compare the finger stick to the alternate site. Gotcha. Yeah. So you would rest your fingers a week and you would do the alternate site. So you would definitely know 
that test in that alternate site, you had an increase or you had a decrease. Mm-hmm. And then you can go back to the fingers, but don't compare the finger result to the alternate site result because there are variables. They will vary. Okay. And um, when it comes to eating, I don't know if if it's boring for you to eat the same thing all the time. You can change as long as you're measuring your carbs and well, you're eating the – I, I Breakfast and lunch, it's just as easy to stick to the same thing. I'm measuring okay. the carbs. I know exactly what it is. Dinner gets frustrating and boring because – I'm growing gills from all the fish and vegetables that I eat. and But I'm also, which is why I do the extra finger sticking. For instance, the other night I indulged in a slice of pizza and what has been my typical dessert, which is a non-fat Greek yogurt with a half a cup of mixed berries. And uh, before I went to bed, my sugar was 215. It hasn't been over 200 in months Um I don't know if it's a combination. And, and overall, I still only had about 45 grams of carbs between the pizza and the berries and the yogurt mm-hmm. um, and probably a little bit of sugar. Uh, but clearly, because but, that's, that's why I do so many sticks, because clearly that was not a good combination. Okay. That the, the carbs alone may have been okay. The yogurt and the berries alone are certainly okay. Um, but together, they threw my sugar way up from where it's been. And and you're right, and you are the only person who would know that. Uh, we're all individualized, and certain things that we eat do affect us differently. And so if you're comfortable and you can continue to test that often, and it doesn't burn you out, then you are getting a lot of information about yourself, and you're moving in a great direction to um, save yourself from the complications of diabetes. So I commend you. Well, thank you. I, I also I, commend you, know. you because I feel like uh, for 10, she's, Jackie's been doing this for less than 10 months. It's not quite there yet. And yeah. she's already so knowledgeable about uh, sticking to a, a meal plan like you've told me before, Patricia. She's, you know, she's using. She knows about alternative sites and readings that might be different from uh, if she tests on her arm or her finger. She's, she's checking, like she said, she's a bit of a control freak, but she's also uh, acting like a detective to kind of see when these things happen. So she's kind of charting it to know it, when she does have a pizza or indulge in something like maybe what she needs to do next. So I totally commend you as well, Jackie. I think you're doing phenomenal. So thankful for you sharing your story tonight on the podcast. Thank you. I I, I just have to tell you one funny story quickly. I know you're pressed for time. When I was first diagnosed, some I've never met anybody else my age who was diagnosed this late in life that has this. And somebody put somebody in touch with me who was in her 50s, and even though she didn't say it in so many words, she said to me, basically, you're very lucky that you got it at 78 years old because uh, you'll be dead before any of the bad things could happen. Um, I don't think she meant to scare me, <laughs> but she managed to. Oh yeah, I, I could see that. What would you say to that, Patricia? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm aware of all the things because, as you can tell, I look everything up. <laughs> 
Right. Uh, my mouth would be hanging open. I mean, I, <laughs> for what I am speechless. I, I had to I, share that with you. <laughs> well, this is an interesting thing, Patricia, as we're wrapping up. Uh, your final thoughts on this about, about using fear. And, like, just as Jackie said and several guests have said, like how – some people dismiss it or people use it to try to motivate you. And, and, you know, sometimes the message isn't clearly communicated in a way that really serves you. Quite true. And fear can be crippling and paralyzing, and that's when it's your enemy. Fear can cause you to panic and not be able to make a move. But if it motivates and makes you a detective and helps you to move along to find out what works and what doesn't work and change your direction, then fear can be a good thing. Um, I wouldn't say uh, that it maybe it's not fear. It's more of a motivation uh, uh, kind of tactic more so than fear. But if it becomes crippling and paralyzing, then perhaps someone needs to intervene. You need intervention in some way, somehow with um, colleagues, with um, health care providers, some form of counseling or some motivator, coach. Someone needs to intervene if you're at that point where you really are so fearful that you're even afraid to test because you are afraid what number you may get. But if you have the knowledge and that number motivates you and tells you I need to change direction and you're able to do that and able to make those type of of decisions, then that fear is the type of fear that really can energize and make you have better outcomes. Well, thank you for that. And I think one of the things we've heard tonight is just another person like Jackie just said, and I know that Divey's what – to know and the type two and type one for Jackie uh, Divey's support on Facebook is super helpful for letting people kind of like let down their hair, discuss things and, and just hear other, get the comfort and support of other people going through the same thing to help, help them manage their fears as well as their diabetes in a, in a more positive way. So thank you, Patricia. And I want to thank all my guests for tuning in for these last, I, we're on our eighth year. It's amazing to me. You heard me say tonight we'll be doing a gestational diabetes podcast. We will be. In the meantime, we're looking forward to celebrating National Diabetes Awareness Month with you next month on Tuesday, November 12th at 6 p.m. We'll be having a whole new podcast with a slew of wonderful, exciting guests, and hopefully you will be tuning in. In the meantime, please subscribe to our DivaBeg e-newsletter at divabeg.org. Visit DivaBeg's Facebook pages. Uh, challenge yourself in our instant winter games and watch my videos on Mr. Diva Beck's YouTube, YouTube channel. Remember, every diva has an entourage, and I'm so glad to be part of yours, as well as Patricia Addy Gentles. Thank you, Patricia. Let's stay happy and healthy together. We're going to end the podcast with another song from Old Dominion's new album, Happy Endings, entitled New York at Night, courtesy of Sony Music. Like I'm sipping on a bottle in a penthouse suite You're lighting me up and you know it With that just right Friday night curling your head Got my heart beating louder than Madison Square That electric energy Something tells me you're gonna keep me going Till the morning light Girl, you're like New York 
Walking on air like you want it 